0: from the DNA company. This is the Unpilled Podcast with your host
1: Kashif Khan.
0: Welcome back to the Unpilled Podcast. I'm Kashif Khan, CEO of the DNA company. We have an awesome guest joining us today, uh, ex CIA field operative, Mr. Bob Bear. It's awesome that he was able to take the time to speak to us today. This man has run missions in Russia, Europe, the Middle East. You've probably seen his show on the History Channel, Hunting Hitler. He's regularly on CNN as an expert. Uh, and, of course, there's many books that he's authored that you can go and enjoy. And right now, we speak to him from an undisclosed location in Colorado. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Let's start light. Is Hitler still hiding in a bunker in Argentina?
1: Uh, <laughs> Hitler never made it out of the bunker in Berlin, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> we all sort of knew that, but just for fun, we, we followed the evidence. And I've got to tell you, the evidence was bizarre. You know, yeah. if, if, if you're one to believe in conspiracies, this is one that's could have wings. But I mean, I we all sort of started the program deciding that he died there. But let's take a look. And so we found about- we found a bunker in Argentina, you know, and by the way, that'd be a great place to we found all sorts of things. If you were going to look for Hitler's DNA. Yeah, um, right. And another thing, by the way, we couldn't do was get his Hitler's family DNA. Uh, they wouldn't give it up so it, according unless something has changed we do not have hitler's dna
0: really and what led you down this path was there some something that drove you towards this hunt or was it the, the show itself like re- requesting you to come help them as an expert
1: i knew the studio and they were looking for somebody that would look at this objectively okay um somebody that doesn't really fall for conspiracy theories um
0: so, so applying your cia chops you could see through all the holes yeah, well,
1: we were looking at authoritative documents. We were looking at what eyewitnesses were available uh, and just logistics of getting somebody like Hitler out to Norway Norway, and what evidence was any ships, um, mainly U-boats. And there was lots of a lot of U-boats that landed in Argentina. When they arrived, they had just dumped all the documents and they have no idea what they were carrying, either to the United States or South America. We still don't know until this day. And so the, the presumption was that maybe Hitler got on a U boat, went to Argentina. But at the end of the day, we, we found a compound. It was a Nazi compound. We, we didn't know who it was for. It was out in the middle of nowhere. It's clearly a fortified area with its own electricity and water and the whole thing. And we just don't know why it was in a place called Misiones. And we have no idea what, who it was for. Um, we found some artifacts that looked like personal artifacts of Hitler but that's certainly not evidence that he got out. Right. And you know, going by Occam's razor, he died in the bunker in Berlin.
0: So this like, it frames up your, your history and your work where you've literally tried time travel because you've done CIA work where you have access to the best tools and DNA, DNA diagnostic tools. And all of a sudden you have to go back in time and try and solve a problem without access to those tools because you can only look at the context of what was left behind years ago.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's look, you know, it, it, it addresses the subject we're at. And the reason we opened this in the first place, the investigation into Hitler, is because someone got a hold of his supposed jaw in archives in, in Moscow. And they did an, uh, a, a DNA exfoliation, was called that's a scraping of a, a jaw. And they found out that it was not. A, a man's skull. In fact, it was a woman's um, and considerably younger than Hitler. So that was the DNA. So that really launched our investigation in that way of making it slightly plausible. Now, clearly it was somebody else's jaw, but the fact is the whole basis for the hunting Hitler show goes back to DNA.
0: So it makes you think until the technology was available know things that could have been planted things that could have been with what parts of history that we believe to be true could actually be very different than what we know
1: well absolutely because you know there's a french dentist has come along and come up with other stuff which i haven't really looked at since that program but basically dna does you know reinterprets history
0: right so if we fast forward into the work you've done more recently like in europe and russia and how, do this, you know, everybody watches the movies and has some kind of vision in their head of how DNA is planted and how it's used to analyze and how we use it to develop. And to what extent is any of this actually true? I would assume that a, a, an agency as important as the CIA would apply technology like this. But to what degree, in your experience, was it actually used?
1: Well, I mean, let me tell you one of the problems when we didn't have DNA tests, for instance, was the hijacking of TWA-847, which went all around the Mediterranean and then ends up in Beirut, and we knew that this pro-Iranian group had hijacked it, but we weren't quite sure who, who they were, but what we did get managed to get off the plane as a fingerprint, which led to the indictment of one person in particular which is the closest we came to evidence. Because what you have to remember that in a lot of terrorism cases, the eyewitnesses are inherently unreliable. Uh, And as we know from Guantanamo, interrogations are unreliable, especially when they involve torture. And human beings make up stories and they sell information. But once you get down to something like DNA, it changes the game because off that airplane we could have got all sorts of dna of everybody involved you could have got multiple indictments if there had been any foreign officials on that plane we could have you know indicted the state so you know you fast forward and you're uh, you're capturing um, bin Laden i mean the only reason we knew he that, that was him is they got dna samples for sure cuz you just you, you, you simply can't you know, take the testimony of people, the shooters in that house in a bot and say, well, was that, you know, they're going to say, yeah, of course it was bin Laden. But once you have the DNA, uh, it, it, it becomes forensic proof.
0: And that's where outcomes are really, I mean, there's the, your core intellect, but you're limited by your toolkit, because you, there's things that augment your your intelligence and your skill with what tools you have. And going back to what you said about, you know, eyewitnesses, in the work that we do in genetics, we always try and take other layers of science and stack it on what we're doing to make sure that what we're doing is the best practice and is actually true and we stumble across this sort of neurological phenomenon where memory and recall is actually reformed every time you recall so when you have a memory and you probably already know this you know the next time you think about that thing the way you thought about it becomes the memory and you, you ah, sort yes, of change it's brilliant. yeah I Isn't love that incredible it. And the memory actually changes every time you dip into it. It's kind of like the more you use it, the more you lose it because you
1: don't actually. I love, I love that. I didn't realize it was that serious.
0: Yeah, it's actually. And this is where when you and this is why eyewitness accounts, when you feel like the guy is flaky or the guy, you know, keeps changing his story, it literally to him is perceived as different or her. Right. Yeah. And that, that's a phenomenon of memory that we're just starting to unlock. And we're trying to understand the genetics of to what degree does that happen for various people?
1: Yeah, combine that with quantum mechanics and you kind of knows what happened in the past, unless you have exactly. some sort of evidence. But this, you know, my I wanted to bring up is, uh, I worked for Special Tribunal for Lebanon and we, uh, it was the assassination of the ex-Prime Minister in 2005. And it, 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 there were no witnesses, zero. No one wanted to talk about it. Right. Anybody, the investigators were killed. But what we did find, was after two years was a nose in the wreckage. It was just the end of a nose. And from multi-isotope analysis, we found out that the suicide bomber killed the ex-prime minister was from the border on Yemen and Saudi Arabia, which just added to the complication. But that's the closest thing we had to to evidence on this bomb because the bomb was destroyed. um, There was no DNA um to speak of except this nose and the multi isotope analysis but there was no record of it but for the investigators that's the closest it came to any sort of conclusion but when you look at you look at all uh, the the people in this country who've been convicted on eyewitness information and just at the end of the day and they get a hold of the DNA and they get into these legacy databases and they find out it's somebody it's just hugely changing american justice
0: yeah, yeah, massive shift, massive because it's, it's indisputable, right? It's black and white. And this is where we see, at least we hear of, agencies are looking to collaborate more with private industry and genetic testing companies. And where genetic testing companies believe they are in the business of selling data, you know, mining it and allowing access to it and making it more intelligent seems to be a more important use of the data. And we've already seen evidence, you know, I think it was about a year ago where 23andMe helped. A murder being solved at somewhere in California, I believe.
1: You know how yeah, they. Golden started... State murderer. Yeah, he was an ex. Right. He was a cop that had been killing people.
0: That's right. And from where did they start, and how do they get back to actually identifying the killer? You know, and this is where the more data we have, and then you it it leads to other questions that are more or moral and ethical questions. Do we require population mapping? Right. Do we become more secure? because everybody's DNA is biobanked somewhere. Well,
1: yep. well, look at it this too. If you're in a prison and you're on death row and you're about to be executed for a crime you didn't commit, wouldn't you like the DNA to all be out there to figure out really who had committed the crime? For it, sure. It's, it's also a matter of justice and, and fairness. But you know, the other thing I, that fascinates me is you combine DNA with multi-isotope analysis and cell phone records, metadata, and right. you get a, a closer picture of reality than you would otherwise, than you would a sociologist or an anthropologist. It's- Yeah, it's, you, it's you're relying
0: amazing. on empirical data and it's it's indisputable at that
1: point. You know, it's, you know, it's a fascinating study they did. I think it's Richard III they found. And, and he was in like in a parking lot, and they dug him up. they found his corpse. And they noticed that when he became, they could tell us from multi-isotope analysis that his diet, changed the day he became king so he just went from eating bad food to very good food you know fresh fruits and fresh vegetables and game and the rest of it and they could mark it from the day of his coordination His just his lifestyle improved
0: that's incredible and we find that ourselves when so there's this question of you know is my dna my outcome is that it's kind of like things are in stone yes your dna can't change it is what it is but the net result is what environment nutrition lifestyle load you put on it meaning that your dna will outline your capacity here's what you're wired for at the brain at the heart at the whatever system you want to look at you could have the worst cardiovascular you know genetics but if there's no load no stress no bad food etc you're not getting sick and that's something you're born with a genetic condition but in the same token you know you could have the best and load it with the worst and you may get sick so this is where that that load we see and just speaking of going back to you know uh you're talking about history that load is what is your genetic legacy that is provided and inherited to the by the next generation you know the stress you went through the struggle or the joy and the ease of life those are the things that your genes believe your your your, your you know children need to have and what they're going to deal with and i'll use myself as an, as an example you know i i I have what's referred to as warrior genetics. My dopamine levels are so low that I hardly feel. And my COMPT enzyme, which flushes the dopamine out to bring it back to normal is so fast that while I'm even experiencing that sense of reward or pleasure, it's, it's done before it even starts. And so that drives me to want to sort of achieve or seek reward. And so the lawyer letter in the mail doesn't really phase me. I just want to deal with it. So that happens. And why do we call it warrior genetics? It's because I inherited what my ancestors did. They were probably struggling and fighting to some level. And so I am now wired to do the same. I just apply it to entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's the same way with the Russians. There's a theory that they're so paranoid and, uh, and a paranoid of invasions that, that they react to it. And it's something that's been inherited since the Mongol invasions, the right. invasions. I don't know if that's true. I don't understand the science of it but well, it just it changes sense. their character.
0: It's that coping mechanism. We're all designed to survive. And whatever struggle or strife that is presented to us, the next generation should be able to deal with it better than us. And so they inherit that genetic legacy.
1: Or and they it, could suffer from it if it's paranoia-like. They suffer,
0: actually. yeah. So again, that comes back down to the environmental load. If you're wired to be struggling, but there's no struggle, it's going to lead to paranoia.
1: Is that, isn't that that called epigenetics? when you?
0: Epi, yeah, epigenetics essentially... So we've been unpacking this a little bit, where epigenetics has been treated as, you know, too literal, too linear and binary. It's this or that. Whereas it's more about the load you're putting on the systems. So epigenetics are, how do my genes express? If I choose this direction as opposed to that direction, my genes may do something because the load is there or not there. So what we're measuring in epigenetics is too tied to genetic conditions for it to be actionable. And this is why we haven't adopted mass. The, the work we've been doing is to say, let's take it away from just genetic conditions, things we're born with that are easy to mark. This gene equals that to everything else, which is not, it's the more of the gray area. We need to understand systems and maps as opposed to gene by gene by gene. And that's where science is now going. I think it's gonna be a lot more actionable. And that's where you wonder if we know this, there's other people that know this and what is being done by agencies in places like Russia, and China, where, you know, the regulatory landscape is very different. They actually want the progression of G and DNA science to advance a lot faster without these sort of, you know, moral red tape. And I don't know if you've seen any of this in your work where there's things going on that we're falling behind.
1: Yeah, well, we're falling behind vis-a-vis Iran and nanotechnology. Right. They're, they're, they're way ahead of us yeah and In it has so many ways
0: and it comes back to the motivation and the influences of when you're when you're down you're not so worried about the moral implications you know you're more worried about how do we get it back up and whereas there's a lot more concerns wrapped around scientific advancement you know this side of the ocean and where we, there's a good to it because a lot of bad will be prevented but there's a bad to it because the things we need to worry about are brewing and marinating in other places where we don't want them to be happening and we're falling i mean
1: totalitarian regimes this is a is a is a gift to them the whole thing cell phones for sure rest of it for sure you you can't get away with anything
0: yeah so last week we actually spoke to uh, general wesley clark who i think you know and he spoke of super soldiers right he spoke of the work and everyone's heard of this work and we don't know to what degree it's actually going on or what exactly is going on and i wonder if there's been any discussion around super spies like has there been talk about decoding cognitive wiring and understand who innately has the capacity to do this better at the genetic level and there's a
1: it's it's done in it's done in kill houses i mean you want to find soldiers who can you can condition their amygdalas So that I can stand next to you and shoot a gun and you won't react. It's warrior DNA. Some people will never adjust to gunfire inside a room. They'll always overreact. I mean, so you want when you're, when you're in a kill house, you've got thing called the quarter second rule. That means you've got a quarter second, whether to shoot or not. Right. Most people, including myself, that's way too quick. But if, if, if you can get into somebody's wiring, you can turn them into a particular kind of soldier.
0: So from our perspective, we've been doing this work, not in that context, but we understand the wiring and who is capable of what. We did do some work, with, which we discussed last week with General Clark, with Black Ops military in terms of who would be more prone to PTSD response, holding onto the trauma, who can actually uh, be wired to achieve and this is where, in this line of work, very unique line of work, you know you would think the amount of training and effort that goes into and the amount of meaning and value of that work if it were to fail, you know, filtering out that super soldier and then super spy, uh, it just seems like if we're not working on it, somebody's out there working on it.
1: yeah, I, I mean there's there's a lot of applications when I was in Iraq, by the way, I, was, I don't even know how it got this way, but there was considerable fighting and and this was going on a shelling back and forth and we didn't have a a bunker to go into we had to live in a house there was no way or you could get out on the road and that was a quick way to die it's outside Erbil so I it was like nine o'clock and everybody my team was worried and I just like so I'm tired I'm going to bed and I just I slept through the whole thing and I don't even know why this is like the shelling is one five five just lulled me to sleep don't, don't ask that, that, why. That is, I, have, I have no explanation. I had a Marine captain there who thought I was crazy and asked to transfer and left Iraq like two days later. Wow!
0: So it goes back. It's, to, not,
1: it's not. It's. I don't consider. Him, I'm not in no way heroic. Right. Or or you would would you ever want me to be on your side in a gunfight? <laughs> but I'm just saying just that's just something in my DNA. That
0: yeah, your ability to quote move on not experience or bind the trauma you know not uh, have these of overwhelming to what degree do you express meaning to something when it's happening your ability to actually extract meaning and tone it down there's very specific genetic pathways that speak to all of that right And yeah. we, can, we can predetermine you know exactly how someone would react in that situation there's a, a obviously a huge level of experience and training if you've been through it 10 times, it's very different than the first time, right? But there's also the innate capacity for someone to sort of move on. Uh, that leads me to thinking, you know, in the work that's been happening in the CIA, has there been any genetic screening? Has there been any form of like, let's actually, we put so much money into training. Uh, there's so much at stake. Do they, do they yet know, or do they yet use this as a tool to say who should actually be in a different role? No. No, uh,
1: it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great bureaucracy, right? They, they give you these standard psychological tests. Like I remember one, when I came in do you wet your bed and I just thought that was the strangest damn thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and they don't, they just, these, these, these old personality, Briggs, Myers, the test things, these other tests, that are really old and they come in and they're, they're, they're looking for not not DNA, but character flaws. Like, do you drink too much? Do you um, have some sort of family trauma or have been married 12 times or some things like that? Just standard stuff. But I have never heard where they actually take your DNA and decide whether, I mean, you're prone to treason. I'm writing a book about treason now, and I don't, think anybody's taken a look at the great spies their dna i've never seen anything there may be but like you know hansen and abes the famous american spies i don't think so
0: so even something as complex as treason i would very strongly argue that we can point those people out oh, i believe you yeah and this is where uh the interesting thing here is and why i asked is we were doing some work as i said with the u.s military and it was Primarily around PTSD. It was more reactive. Okay, how do we help these people? Which is good, you know, provide support for veterans, yeah. right? In that work, we had an investor approach approach us who was based in China, uh, in the medical industry there, and said, I love what you're doing. Have you do you have any military experience? And we said, Well, we're working on this project. We don't believe we should share the details of it with you, but yes, there's some work going on. The then it just didn't stop i'm gonna bring you money i'm gonna we're gonna open a lab we're gonna there was uh chinese military interest and the amount the the momentum and effort and how quickly they were moving towards us we didn't do the work by the way our internal science team just didn't want to do it right um but it just showed me if you know small company in canada the dna company sitting here and the second that there's notice of the ability to screen super soldiers and spies and put them in the right roles. A Chinese company sends us a letter saying, we want to give you $8 million to build a lab. It's probably already happening
1: somewhere. Oh, I'm sure it is. Well, why don't you go to the FBI and say, you know, Ames and, and Hanson are very famous here and say, well, we'll tell you whether they were prone to it.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good next step for us. I mean, as a business, as a simple, if you think
1: we should be doing that. Yeah, right? I think you should. I mean, yeah. I don't, maybe they've done it for all I know, but I've never heard of it.
0: Right. As a, I mean, we've been highly clinical up, up until now, the work we've done with the military has been more around performance, you know, uh, it's been less about the screening, but I do believe if we know this is what's happening overseas, we better catch up soon.
1: Yeah, and I, and I always wonder about in any military in the world, there's always about 5%, doesn't matter which country, of soldiers that some way turn to crime right in the military and they steal equipment or whatever or war crimes i wonder if you could figure out what that dna is
0: so here's the funny thing about that number so just earlier today we were working on building some blog content for our website literally just sitting with the writers and going over data and when we found uh on the mood and behavior the people on the extremes were in that five percent range meaning you have this chunk in the middle who are going to be more Zen that are going to do what they do, you know. uh, And then there's this sort of chunk at the top, which is bigger than that 5%, it's nearer to 2025, which is going to just sort of uh, call it that executive level. They're going to excel, but they're going to go with the flow still. Then there's this 5%, the anomalies who you could see, we're either going to overachieve, meaning that an overachieve doesn't necessarily mean positive, meaning that they're going to be opportunists in the various areas, whether it is treason, whether it is achievement, whether it is depression, the various possible outcomes. There was this kind of 5% number that we kept finding, which is funny because it directly correlates with what you're saying that it doesn't matter where you look in the world. And we're based in Toronto. One of the reasons we very purposefully stationed ourselves here, it's one of the most multicultural cities in the world. And so our data pool is very diverse in terms of ethnicity, whereas most genetic testing companies are data pools based on white Western European males Yeah, and not even Eastern European, just Western European. So we've focused on creating some more diversity in the data set, and we're finding some very interesting things where the exact same thing that means something good for the white Western European male is actually a death sentence for a northern Chinese person, literally, for example, in cholesterolemia, certain diseases. So that's where we landed, that 5% of people are not going to go with the flow. You can't hold them back. They're going to do what they're going to do. And it's not necessarily positive or negative. It could be multiple things, but they're going to sort of stray from the pack and do their own thing. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad.
1: What, what happens if we ever get to the point with DNA, we can predict who's gonna to turn to crime and who's not? You jail them right away?
0: So this is, I mean, we're looking at Minority Report now, right? Let's predict the crime. Yeah. You know, and this is where you can predict how somebody deals with thinking, right? To what degree are they numb? But what, what are they gonna do with it? Take me for example. My dopamine, what we talked about, right? I don't feel, and it doesn't last long enough, but the outcomes are multiple. You know, it could, it doesn't necessarily mean achievement or reward seeking. It could have meant addiction, right? Instead of going down the reward path, I could have gone down the pleasure path and been an addict. Like in my family, there's many addicts. You would wonder why they have the same genetics as me or depression. Cause I just never fed it. So th- what you can do is striate population into high probability, You can say that of the people, and it can even be retrospective, meaning let's go test 1000 people that did this thing and we'll show you the genomics of the mind and why they were able to do it so easily. Why why were they able to make that decision? Like you said, that quarter second rule, what what gave them that capacity? So that would be an interesting thing to do to actually run a study retrospectively on a cohort of people that have done something, whether it's crime, theft, whatever, you know jumping into something that we did talk about cybersecurity who's the guy that can actually sit there and take an entire company or country down with a click of a button because doesn't mean much to them i mean, i'm sure you've seen a lot of that
1: yeah, I, I know the russian criminal class it's right it's one of its own
0: yeah the russians are some really unique uh genomic anom- anomalies for example i don't know if you remember but uh oh, it was maybe two decades ago now the olympic doping propaganda that happened yeah. where the russians were getting through because they're so androgenized meaning that they're so testosterone dominant which made them the great warriors athletes that they were made them so determined in their work and so lean and fit and muscular all those things uh, men and women but it also allowed them to pass a doping test right they could literally take the juice and pass the test because of their the, the, the genetics of their hormonal system. So we've literally mapped what is the DNA of that person that can pap- pass a doping test with no issue. And so g- Russians have a lot of unique, uh, you know, genetic sort of profiles like that, that you don't see in other populations. But nobody knows that more than you. I, I think
1: this is just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I had dental surgery and it, I got a big jar of OxyContin, which which has no effect on me. i'd take the whole jar it wouldn't give me a buzz or anything i I can't even comprehend that addiction and i could see why some people might respond to it
0: yeah so for you i mean if i were just to look at what we call the phenotype so your genes are your genotype here's your report here's your list of genes right that's what we found out what does that manifest into your the shape of your head how you behave that's your phenotype the expression of the genes. So we've done so much of meeting with people clinically one-on-one that just by looking at you, there's phenotypic inferences we can make that point to the genes. Genetic testing companies typically don't do this because they are genetic testing companies. We're a healthcare company. We have to try and help people. So we need a little bit of both. We need to be able to address, not only here's your brain genes, but here's anxiety. How do we put the two of them together? So in that, the work that you do, I would assume, and you know what? Let's take up the challenge. Let's, I'll send you a test and we'll, we'll look on this. Maybe we'll talk again. I would assume that your dopamine pathway is the exact opposite of mine. And you are uh, like a binger, a, a deep diver. And you wouldn't ever get addicted to that unless it was piquing your interest, which it probably didn't. So for me, it would be instant. If it was that pleasure, that little, that little touch of pleasure, I need more and more and more and more. For you, you're already experiencing pleasure and reward. You, you really need something powerful, impactful, which is. I used to. I used to
1: be a professional drinker, though I basically don't drink anymore. Not because it was a conscious decision; I just stopped. I mean, I, when I was with the Russian army, we were drinking, at one sitting, a bottle of vodka each. And this is the
0: difference between an addict. Exactly what I'm describing. Mm-hmm. The person who has minimum dopamine, like me, is the addict. That person needs to do it every day on time, and it's going to be more and more and more until they kill themselves the exact opposite of that is the person with the max maximum dopamine expression where they not they don't they're not addicted to it they don't need to do it but when they do it they're going to binge until they get lost in it because when they oh, get wow. that is and i don't know just based on what you're saying it sounds accurate but that's like it's it ties to your phenotype when just speaking to you you seem like a high dopamine expressor which then ties to your drinking habit and what that looks like which is i binge on it and, and now it's
1: but now it's books I read, and now it's books. Yeah, addicted, so you've been, addicted to books—that's all I read. Yeah.
0: And for me, I can't read a book is too much. I need cold notes, right? Because my brain just won't do it.
1: It's, it's so wild. Yeah. isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it's it's awesome. So yeah, so we can do that. We'll get you tested, and we can. Yeah, send me a
1: test. Time. It's like I get absolutely fascinated by this. Right. You can read that history I mean, of Western
0: people, philosophy. I see that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like most people would say, "My God, look at the size of that!" Written by a mathematician. I cannot. What's the matter with you? And why would you stay up late at night reading that? And, for excitement.
0: The ability to do it starts with the fascination, meaning I could give you another book of the same size, but if you're not interested in it, you will procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate and never open it. But the fact that that thing piqued your interest and that dopamine hit went beyond normal, you will binge and finish the whole book.
1: Yeah, and take notes. And, and take
0: notes and come back to it and apply it. And, and then, speak
1: to then, it, then, it as well promptly forget it six months later
0: <laughs> that's a whole other problem
1: yeah
0: you know so your the series that you're working on with you know hunting hitler we're looking we're taking a peek at the past you know and what happened but now i, I know you're not doing it anymore but i think you left in and around the time like the fir- the, the the future the current the, the, that cyber security started to be one of our big problems right and i think as I look at these, as a layman looking from the outside, that digital threat seems like it's the next threat. And it seems like it's gonna be the place where we need to put resources. And it seems like it's a place where it's very easy for the people that were worried about having access and being able to do what they need to do. I don't know how much of that you experienced. I know it's been some time where you've been working, but it would have already been brewing, so. Well, we, we
1: mean, to go back to the Hariri assassination, the way we caught them is they had eight burner phones uh, that they had bought in false names. And what we did was we ran an algorithm through every phone call in Lebanon that morning leading up to the assassination. And it was called analyst notebook. And what they figured out was that those eight phones were all talking to each other and there's no other phones.
0: Incredible. yeah.
1: So then we identified their, their locations that morning. And you could see him follow the prime minister's car around. The problem was these guys weren't all that sophisticated and they had their regular phones with them. And okay. then one of the guys yeah. called his girlfriend, said i will be late to come up for our date because... Unbelievable. ...you didn't say on the phone, we're going to kill this person. But so that once you've got those eight phones connected to a landline, then the whole thing unraveled.
0: That's unbelievable.
1: So that was... Um, you know, probably any city in the world, eight cell phones talking to each other and they're all burner phones. It tells you some sort of crime has been committed. In fact, when you followed the prime minister's route, it did.
0: So we're already getting ahead of these things and we're starting to learn how to track and trace and prevent. And that's why you wonder how do people identify that there's a threat coming? And it's by having these insights and knowing how the sort of protagonist operates.
1: I was, I was giving a lecture up at Nellis Air Force Base. I don't know if you know Afghanistan at all, but um, the, the, the JTAC teams that follow the enemy, like the Taliban, uh, told me that they have never caught the Haqqani network, which is one of the most dangerous ones fighting NATO. They never caught them once spiking. They were never on phones, they were never on radios. They completely went off the air, and everything order was done orally, face to face. All electronics were removed, and these people are, you know, from tribal areas. They're not exactly, you know, engineers, but they figured this out. Incredible. They're just completely off the grid. Off the never, grid. Never, you, you can't find it. That's why Mullah Omar, the head of the Taliban, was living right next to an American base, and he just they just went. You know keep your dna out don't ever use the cell phone don't ever use a computer um and, and go right down don't have a credit card and you might get away with stuff
0: so it goes right back to what we said earlier you're you're limited by your toolkit if you're using the wrong toolkit for the job you're not catching anybody so no. this, this is an awesome conversation i have to thank you for taking the time you know we could go i could go on for a long time because there's so much in your head that wows you know just everything you say i would i would love to have you back and we'll do that we'll 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 scan your dna we'll see how you're wired and what you're all about and maybe we'll talk about it again uh
1: i think just scan my whole family's dna then you'd really get scared (laughs) because they're all crazy (laughs) (laughs) maybe we'll learn something who
0: knows so i would Let everybody know that they should look out for the the series, uh, Hunting Hitler. It's on Discovery Plus and History Channel. You've also read, or I should say, sorry, you've also wrote tons of books, which people can learn if they're fascinated by what we talked about today, which I'm sure they are. There's insights out there that they can read in your books. Thank you again, Bob, for joining us today. This was truly awesome. Uh, Great that you are able to make the time. Thank
1: you so much. From the DNA Company, this has been the Unpilled Podcast with your host, Kashif Khan. Thanks for listening.